Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see everybody here. Looks like we've got a couple of uh, new faces here. I want to welcome you to Morning Hour Chapel this morning. Uh, we are just blessed to have you here, and uh, we just pray that uh, whatever happens here this morning will help to fill your spirits with God. Uh, and uh, this morning, we're actually going to be continuing uh, a walkthrough of the book of Philippians in a series uh, that we've titled The Winter of Our Contentment. And uh, Paul's ultimate reason for writing this letter, and we've seen that he's written this letter uh, for a number of reasons. He's, he's writing to uh, thank the church at Philippi for a gift that they have provided that helps him to uh, maintain himself while he's in prison, helps him to uh, maintain the ministry around him as his friends and his ministry partners uh, spread the gospel in the area where he is being imprisoned. Uh, he also writes uh, just to give some basic instructions to individual church members, to the church as a whole, and he writes to give them encouragement. And as we're going to see as we finish up this series, uh, Paul's ultimate goal is to help the Philippian church and to help the 21st century church understand that there is contentment in Jesus Christ, no matter our situation, no matter uh, what is going on around us, what is going on in our families, with our friends, what is going on within us. We can find contentment in Jesus Christ, no matter what the situation. And we're going to be looking here at the end of the third chapter of Philippians this morning. If you all want to follow along, you can open to Philippians chapter 3. Um, but Paul's been doing quite a bit of instructing, quite a bit of encouraging here. Uh, first, he starts... Um, in Philippians 1, 9, uh, 9 through 11, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more uh, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless, blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is Paul's encouragement to the church. He wants them to continue doing the things that he's already hearing that they have been doing over the years since he uh, founded the church with his friend Lydia in the city of Philippi. He also tells them in chapter 1 of Philippians that it is his firm belief that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He is telling the church that he's not worried about whether he lives or dies. Don't worry about if I'm in prison or if I'm not in prison, if I'm, uh, if I'm in bad shape or if I'm in good shape, because no matter what the circumstance, if I live, I live in Christ. If I die, I get to be with Christ. Either way, I'm good. This is what Paul is saying. And in chapter 2, Paul wrote to the church about imitating Christ. Because in order to... Uh, fully see and experience Christ in our lives and fully uh, expect to see Christ after death. Our main purpose as Christians is to imitate Christ. And Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's talking about humility here. He's talking about the fact that though Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Jesus Christ is God. While he was here on earth, he did not find that a thing to pursue, a thing to uh, go after. Instead, Jesus went after obedience 
to the Father. And it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Paul calls the Philippian church, and he calls the 21st century church, to be obedient to God in all things, even up to the point of death. And Jesus was obedient to death on a cross. He also tells us that we are lights in the world, and he warned us against grumbling and disputing and doing all of these kinds of infighting things that the world's going to be able to look in and see. And the world's going to say, well, the church isn't different than any other organization. The church isn't different than anybody else. They're fighting, they're grumbling, they're disputing. They can't even get along. They can't even agree on anything. And Paul says that is not the example of Jesus Christ. The example of Jesus Christ is one of unity, is one of striving together. Everything that Jesus did in his life was to promote unity of spirit. He wanted us to know who he is, and by knowing him, we know the Father. And by knowing the Father, we know that unity. We can agree on the important things. We can agree that we should strive together to spread the gospel, to spread the good news, to tell the world who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And then in chapter 3, Paul tells us that our lives before Christ, before we found him, and Paul uses his own example, his life before Christ, his accomplishments, his prestige, all of these things that he was famous for, Paul calls them garbage. He calls them rubbish. He calls them excrement. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And we saw a few weeks ago this word rubbish really does mean excrement, animal dung. That's how he views all of his accomplishments, all of his life before Christ as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on our faith. It's not enough for us to just do good things. Although we are called to do good things as disciples of Jesus Christ, but we cannot count on those good things to save us, to bring us righteousness. Those good things that we do bring us to obedience. But it is the righteousness of Christ that brings us to God the Father. And this is what Paul is telling the Philippian church, and he encourages them to strain toward the goal of perfection in Christ, righteousness in Christ. This is the goal that we strive for so that when we die and we stand before Jesus Christ, he will look at us and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And this morning we're continuing in Philippians chapter 3. We're starting in verse 17. And Paul writes, brothers and sisters, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. When 
we as disciples of Jesus Christ walk the way that he tells us to walk and do the things that he tells us to do, the world is going to see us. The world is going to see that example. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of times people are going to be really interested in why we are the way we are. Why are you the way that you are? Why do you do these things? Why don't you do X, Y, and Z like everybody else? Why aren't you going to this place or that place like everybody else? And we can tell them it is because of our faith and our obedience in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Jesus Christ has told me that this is not the way that I'm supposed to live. Jesus Christ has told me to avoid certain things, and he has told me to do other things. That is why I am the way that I am. And it is likely, it is possible, that when people see us living the life of Jesus Christ and seeing the joy and the contentment that, that it brings us, they're going to have more questions. It's likely, it's possible that people are going to want what we have. And that is when God, in his Holy Spirit, works through us, works within those people to bring them to repentance before the Father. And Paul says, imitate these people. Church, do the things that we are doing because we are seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ because we are acting on behalf of Jesus Christ. We are acting in his instructions. We are acting through obedience to him. And Paul encourages the church, hey, it's not just me. There are a lot of fellow ministers, a lot of people that I'm working with that are doing the same thing. Watch them. There are people in your church that are doing the same thing. Watch them. Follow them, be encouraged by them, and be emboldened by them to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I, am imitate, as I am of Christ. When we imitate Christ, when we first of all know who Jesus Christ is, when we come to faith, knowing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and then we dig into the Bible, especially into the Gospels, and we learn the things that Jesus told us to do, the things that he commanded us. We should imitate that. We should be doing those things. And it's not easy sometimes. Peer pressure can be a tremendous thing. Anybody ever experienced peer pressure before? It is a tremendous thing. We must hold strong in our faith. We must hold strong and say, no, I'm not going to follow the crowd because I follow Jesus Christ. Well, what does it mean, imitate Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus gives us a whole lot of examples, a whole lot of things that we can do to imitate him. In John 13, 34 to 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And this is the thing. By this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And this is exactly opposite of the things that Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 2. The grumbling and the disputing and the fighting and the arguing. Those are not things that are done in love. Those are things that are done in pride. Those are things that are done in selfishness a lot of times. We should be known by our love for one another. We should be known by our unity with one another. And I'm not saying we're going to agree on anything and I'm not uh, on everything. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have discussions when discussions are warranted about things that are going on. What I'm saying is the important things are the important things. We put first things first. We love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. Everything else we can work out in love when we focus on those things, loving God and loving one another. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told the disciples something else. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denying ourselves means that we're not putting our own interests first. We are putting our own interests dead last. We are denying ourselves. We are saying no to those things that we might want that God doesn't want for us. And we are following Jesus Christ. We are taking up his cross and we are following him. When Jesus took up his cross, he knew exactly what he was doing and exactly where he was going. And he calls us to the same. We should know exactly what we are doing when we pick up the cross of Jesus Christ. And what we are doing is we are saying no to ourselves. We are saying, I would rather die than to see someone else never know who God is. That is denying ourselves and taking up our cross. Jesus says in, other, in uh, another passage in Matthew 5, 48, Therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's talking about the way we treat other people. He's talking about the way that we live our lives. We should be perfect. And of course we all say, well, nobody's perfect. But that doesn't mean that we stop trying. It doesn't mean we stop obeying God just because, well, I can't do that. God told me to do something, but I can't do it, so I'm not going to do it. We, that's not what we're called to do. We are called to obey the Father in all things. And by that, people will know who we are because they will know who Christ is. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. That means we forgive one another. We forgive those who have done wrong against us. We put it behind us. And we strive together with that person so that that person can know who Jesus Christ is. These are all just a scratch on the surface of the ways that we imitate Christ. 
but they are a good start. Paul says, I imitate Christ. I do all of these things. If you imitate me, you're imitating Christ. And we should be able to look at each other and say, if you are imitating me, you are imitating Christ. Everybody here should be able to say that. We should all be striving towards that same goal of being Christ to the world. When we don't do these things, when we strive for ourselves, when we're selfish, when we're prideful, when we grumble and dispute, when we tell the world that our accomplishments are more important than our Lord, we show them nothing. We might even be helping to lead them to destruction because we don't put Christ first. People aren't staying away from church because of God. A lot of people are staying away from church because of people who claim Jesus Christ, but who imitate everything else in the world. Who make everything else in the world other than Jesus the most important thing. That's why they're staying away. They call us hypocrites. And when we're not imitating Christ, we are. We're hypocrites. And they don't want anything to do with that. They can go down to the bar and find that. But people are looking at us. On the opposite side of that, and the unfortunate thing, is that there are some people that are flocking to churches because they hear the preacher say exactly what they want to hear. Whether it's biblical, whether it's Christ-like or not, they flock to these churches. They hear the preacher tell them that their sin is not sin. They hear the preacher tell them that God doesn't expect a thing out of them. All they got to do is come and say a prayer. And then you can live your life however you want to live it. That kind of teaching also leads to destruction. There, and it's, it's, it saddens me, and, and we're going to see in just a minute, it saddens Paul here too, that we have these forces working on both sides against who Jesus Christ is. We've got the world saying, hey, they're not showing us Christ. We've got people going to churches that are not showing them Christ. And spiritually, we are dying. The church is spiritually precarious right now. It is spiritually on the verge of something that it's not supposed to be. And Paul says this in uh, verse 18 of Philippians chapter 3, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul is not talking about the world in this passage. He's talking about the church. He's talking about people who call themselves Christians. If we live contrary to the commands and the example of Jesus Christ, our end is destruction. 
And the sad thing is, and the thing that brings Paul to tears, is that it means destruction for a lot of other people who are looking, who are searching, and they see us. And we're not doing what Christ commands. And they follow us instead of Jesus. Paul calls them enemies of the cross. Jesus calls these same people workers of lawlessness. He says this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If you're not doing the will of the Father, you're an enemy of the cross. Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, not did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And this saddens Paul to no end. He says that he is in tears when he sees churches and especially church leaders who are leading people down a path that is not the path of Jesus Christ. He is leading them down the path of the works of lawlessness. But Paul's weeping is not this kind of condescending, boy, I really feel sorry for you because you're going to hell kind of weeping that some Christians do. Paul's weeping, is, he is sorrowful because these people have seen the example of Jesus Christ in the apostles and in other disciples, and they're still choosing to go down this other path, this path where uh, the Bible says uh, they, they get their ears tickled. They get to hear exactly what they want to hear. We don't want to hear that we're sinners. We don't want to hear that we need salvation. We just want to hear that we're okay the way we are. God accepts me for who I am. And I don't have to do anything to change it because God is perfect. And if God is perfect, he made me perfect. And they completely remove sin from the equation. This is what we deal with in the 21st century. This is what they dealt with 2,000 years ago. And we all know examples of these people and of these churches. And it is really difficult for a church with 70 or 80 people here on a Sunday morning to be noticed by the world. The world is noticing those big churches with their flashy uh, buildings and their flashy services and all of these other things that are leading them down a road to destruction. But it is still up to us, Morning Hour Chapel. It is up to us in the Brethren in Christ. It is up to us, every church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ without shame and without compromise. It is up to us to show the world who Jesus Christ is. Because if I just walk into church and I say a prayer and I think I'm good, that's nothing. 
Some of you might have heard of a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was uh, part of the uh, plot to assassinate uh, Adolf Hitler back during World War II. And he wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in The Cost of Discipleship, he calls what a lot of churches offer these days cheap grace. He describes it as grace without cost. He says cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Churches that say, your sins are forgiven because you've said this prayer, now go live your life. I'm not going to require you to repent. We all know repent means change, turn around, change our minds, put our faces back towards God. And we don't need all that. That's cheap grace. It requires communion without confession. It is a grace without discipleship. It is grace without the cross. It is grace without Jesus Christ. If we walk around thinking that nothing is required of us, after we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are wrong. We are mistaken. And a lot of Christians walk around thinking they hear this message, Jesus meets us right where we are, and he forgives our sins. Period. That's it. End of story. When Jesus forgives our sins, we are supposed to repent of those sins. We are supposed to change. We are supposed to stop doing those things that we said we needed forgiveness for. What these people don't hear is then Jesus expects you to do the will of the Father in heaven. He expects you to allow him to be the Lord of your life. And that is our whole life, body, mind, soul. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, uh, 6, 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We are not our own. When we say we're going to have Jesus be our Savior and our Lord, what it means is that Jesus' desires, Jesus' commands, Jesus' instructions trump everything else. Everything else. Because we were bought for a price. It didn't cost God nothing to offer us salvation. It cost us His only begotten son John 3:16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life God sent Jesus Christ to live as a human being and to die as a sacrifice for our sins this is not something that costs nothing this is something that costs God everything Paul knows these things. He lives these things. He asks the Philippian church to imitate these things. And Paul weeps for these churches, for these Christians who are not allowing Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And he's also weeping for the world. 
He's weeping for those who would see cheap grace spread around like so much seed. He's weeping for the people who never hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ because they're accepting this cheap grace, this forgiveness without repentance. Earlier in the letter, Paul warned the church to look out for dogs, to look out for evildoers. Paul is talking about these people within the church, and he's talking about these people outside of the church. Everyone who would come against the cross of Jesus Christ. Dogs. I don't know if you have a dog or not, but dogs follow their bellies. Our dog, Molly, she is what we might call food aggressive. We literally cannot sit in the family room and eat anything because she will come and try to take it. And it's not because she's being vicious or vindictive. It's because she's following her belly. That's what she wants. And she is going to go and take it. And Paul is saying here that there are Christians who follow their bellies. They follow this, this human internal instinct to just do whatever they want. Take whatever they want. Enemies of the cross do whatever they want to feed their passions, to feed their egos. And they ignore Christ's example. They seek money or they seek fame, and then they tell the world, that's what God wants us to have. God wants us to have money. God wants us to be rich so that we can give to the poor. But I'm also going to keep the five cars and three houses that I have around the world. I don't want to give too much to the poor because God wants me to have most of it. God wants me to be famous. He wants me to have five million TikTok followers so that I can post things on the internet and people will see them and I'll be an influencer and they'll, and they'll love me and I'll be famous. And when I get around to it, I'll tell them about Jesus. Maybe. Unless I lose followers because of it. And there are, there are these people that live this kind of life. Evildoers glory in their shame, Paul says. They commit sin, but they don't call it sin. Instead, they celebrate their sin as being normal, as being human. They take pride in acting against God's instructions and then tell the world, God loves me just as I am. God loves me while I'm actively sinning. Well, yeah, it's true. God does love you while you're actively sinning, but guess what? He really hates the sin. He'd really rather you not. These people claim to be children of God. Jesus calls them workers of lawlessness. Jesus says, I never knew you. They're enemies of the cross. And Paul tells the Philippians over and over again, watch out for those people. Watch out for their example and don't follow it. Follow my example. Follow the example of people who are walking in the way that Jesus Christ would have them walk. And yeah, it's going to be hard. And yeah, you might get beaten up or you might get fired or you might get thrown into prison or you might get killed. But none of that is anything more than what Jesus went through. 
Jesus stayed true to the gospel message because he loved and obeyed God the Father, and we are to do the same. He reminded the Philippian church and he reminds us that we don't live our lives on earth for ourselves because earth is not our home. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we make him our Lord, we turn in our passport as citizens of earth. I don't know if you've ever, probably nobody in here has ever changed their citizenship before. But when you change your citizenship, what you're saying is, I am no longer a citizen of country X, I am now a citizen of this country. When we, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are no longer citizens of the world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, our new identity supersedes any other identity that we have ever had. And this gets tricky because we still live here. We still live on earth. That part hasn't changed. What has changed is that instead of being a world citizen, we become a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, we become ambassadors. We become emissaries of Jesus Christ to the world. Our allegiance is to God the Father, to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Our allegiance is to heaven. But we agree to live here as examples of what heaven is like if you've ever met an ambassador if you've ever met an emissary from another country their primary job is to show the world what their country is like their primary job is to share with the world how their country does things so that the country that they're living in might be able to be a little bit better and that is our job as ambassadors for Christ. We are to show the world how things can be better here on earth by doing things the way they're done in heaven. We invite people to change their citizenship. We invite people to come and be a part of the kingdom. That's our mission as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Remember, we've always said that God's primary will is that none should perish, but that all should come to reconciliation with him. And we become ministers of that reconciliation as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And we put our own interests aside and we work for the interests of the kingdom. We live holy and righteous lives, imitating Christ in all we do. We, we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves. We seek to serve others and bring glory to God in everything that we do. That is what we are as Christ's representatives. And when we live our lives in righteousness and obedience, carrying God's will out on earth, we show the world that there is an eternal hope 
And not everybody is going to hear our message. Not everybody is going to accept what we say or what we do. But we do it anyway. Because Paul says we await a savior who is going to come back from heaven. And he will be, according to scripture, Lord of all. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the hope that we know. Jesus Christ transforms our lives so that we can be a witness, we can be lights in the world. And Paul closes out this section of his letter in Philippians 4.1. He says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm, Thus in the Lord, my beloved. My brothers and sisters whom I long for. The community of believers. Not just here at Morning Hour Chapel, but every Christian on earth is that community of believers. And Paul is calling us to stand firm. Paul is calling us to imitate Jesus Christ. He wants us to encourage one another in our local congregations. He wants us to support each other. He wants us to build each other up in the faith so that we can walk out these doors into the world and say, Jesus Christ is the way to the Father. Our Father in heaven who created you wants to be reconciled wants to have a relationship with you does it make us weep when we see people following after imitation christianity what I mean by that is like imitation vanilla. It's not the real thing. And anybody who's a baker knows it doesn't really feel like the real thing. It doesn't really smell like the real thing. And it doesn't really taste like the real thing. But we're going to use it anyway because it's good enough. Imitation Christianity is not good enough. Imitating Christ is what we are to do. We are the lights of the world. We shine Jesus Christ so that the world can see him. And I want to encourage you as you walk out the doors this morning, as you walk out of here every morning, as you spend your other 166 and a half hours outside of this building, that you keep the light of Christ shining, that you imitate Jesus Christ so that the world can see it. So that the world can know it. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, so that the world can accept it. And make Jesus their Lord and their Savior.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending this sacrifice so that we might be reconciled to you. Father, put it into our hearts, put it into our minds, the sorrow that you feel when people reject you, when people reject your son and the gift that he has to offer. Help us every day to not be the distraction. Help us not to be the person that leads someone astray, but help us to be the person that leads them to the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, let us do your will in all things so that people can know who you are, that people can come to faith in your Son, and by doing that, know eternal life and transformation. Thank you, Father, for all of these things. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. I know some of you are standing here this morning and you're thinking, boy, he talks a lot about the things we're not supposed to be doing. And, and yes, I do. Uh, but the reason that I point these things out, the reason that God, I think, has put on my heart to talk through Philippians this winter is because I am, I am feeling a great calling of the Holy Spirit this year that God is going to be doing some great things through the people in Morning Hour Chapel, through the church itself. We're already seeing revival across uh, college campuses in the United States and I just have this I just have this feeling from the Spirit that we're going to be seeing revival here in East Berlin and that we're going to be a part of that. So I just want to pray uh, for you that you will retain the strength, that you will retain the ability to uh, remain obedient to the Father, to shine the light of Christ in, in East Berlin, in New Oxford, all over the place where you go this week and every week. God bless you.